You're listening to Vixen, a Black Beauty and Pop Culture podcast. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is a bonus episode highlighting Shine Bright, a very personal history of Black women in pop, a new book by Danielle Smith. Now, let's start the show. Hey y'all, welcome back to an all new episode of Vixen. So today I have a bonus episode for y'all and I'm really, really hype about this one. We're going to be talking about a very special book by a very special woman, Danielle Smith. I know that most of my listeners are familiar with Danielle and her work, but if you aren't, it's time to get familiar, girl. Danielle is an author, writer, the host of the Black Girl Songbook podcast, and the former editor-in-chief of Vibe magazine. Her new book, Shine Bright, is going to be released on April 19th, and I got the opportunity to read it early, and y'all, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Y'all know black women are the blueprint and the heart of many movements, and that includes pop music. Shine Bright details the history of black women and our contributions to the genre. The book includes the turning points in the careers of big names you guys will recognize, such as Aretha Franklin and Diana Ross, but also discusses the contributions of women whose names may not be as recognizable, like the Dixie Cups or Leotine Price. What makes this book so special to me is that not only are we getting that black women history, which y'all know we love over here, we're also getting anecdotes about Danielle's life as we talk about these powerful women. It's so much fun going back and forth between Danielle's world and the world of the artist she loves as you read. I was lucky to be able to chat with Danielle about her favorite black pop stars, her top albums, and the music that has defined her life. And now y'all are going to be able to listen to that chat. I'll pop in here and there with little anecdotes to give y'all some background and a little bit of just knowledge on the albums we're talking about and the artists we're discussing. But that's pretty much it. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Here it is. Guys, I'm here with Danielle Smith, writer, host, and author of Shine Bright, a very personal history of black women in pop. How are you, Danielle? I'm fine. How are you? How's everybody? Pretty good. Pretty good. So today we're going to talk about a few of Danielle's favorite albums and moments from Black women in pop music. And we'll talk about how they've inspired her and tied into her own life. So let's go. So Danielle, in the introduction of Shine Bright, you mentioned that when you talk about Black women in music, you tear up a bit. What do you think makes you so passionate about Black women in the music industry? I think it's just their passion. There's something to be said for the fact that Black women show up every day to be creative, to to give of their talent, to give of their soul in a space that doesn't always welcome them or lift them up to the degree that they should be lifted up. Right. And so I just get very, I don't know, like I was doing something yesterday where we were talking about Lena Horn. And I found myself tearing up because I just miss her. And even with all of her accolades, I wish that she had been treated better by the music business and by society at large. Absolutely. And I also found out about you from your book, Danielle, that you were raised by your mother, you had your sister, and you had both of your grandmothers, which is so unique to me. I don't know why that really stood out to me. I was like, wow, she knows both of her grandmothers. Um, oh, wait, no, no, no. I know I have my maternal grandmother, but I have both of my great grandmothers. That's what's even crazier. 
the great grandmothers. That's yes. I was like, wow. I've only had one grandma my entire life, so I'm like, oh my god. Um, oh yeah, no, we had we definitely had we have I had a tribe of grandmothers. Definitely that's awesome. That's awesome. Do you think that influenced how you feel about Black women in music? Did they did they play a part in any of that for you? I mean, without question. Um, my mother bought me. Uh, my first album, which was the Jackson 5's ABC. Um, we had a little record player at the house that I was devoted to. The, uh, the old school kind that no one remembers but me, That where you had the vinyl and it was almost like a little box that you opened and put the vinyl on and played. And I was so fascinated. She took me to my first concert, which was the Jackson 5 um, at the Circle Star Theater in San Carlos, California. But even beyond that, my grandmother was a music lover. Even before I knew what shows were, I remember her just getting dressed um, and looking all fancy to go to, you know, a, something called a jazz club. You know, I didn't know what that was, but I was just like, it must be amazing if grandma's getting ready like this, right. you know, and my, and my great grandmothers were just very about watching whatever black music was on television, which was not a lot or whatever music period was on the radio. So I just have always been around it. That's awesome. That's awesome. That reminds me of my grandma going to what she calls the cabaret. Like (laughs) very similar. Right. But there, and there would be all this preparation for the cabaret and like, what were we wearing and the lipstick and like, Maybe friends were going along or, you know, it just was a, it was such a big deal. And it's like, where's grandma? She's at the jazz club. Right. Or this thing with my grandmother, she's going on a jazz cruise. A what? jazz cruise? <laughs> <laughs> a whole cruise of what? Music and fanciness? Oh I'm going to be down. Yes. How do you get invited to that? That was, I want to go. <laughs> I want to go now. <laughs> so, Danielle, what do you think, in your opinion, defines a pop star? Like, what is it that women like Whitney or a Mariah have that just makes them that girl to you? Um, I'm really of the mind that it's not in the singing that makes somebody a pop star. It's in the people that make somebody a pop star. The word pop comes from the word popular, and that means that everybody's listening to you. Um, everybody in this day and age is streaming you. Everybody is uh, buying tickets to your concerts. Everybody that listens to the radio, whether it's terrestrial or it's serious, they're requesting you a radio. These are the things that make pop stars to me. That's why I love them because they are the people's choice. Hey y'all, so now you're going to hear Danielle and I discuss one of Aretha Franklin's most powerful albums, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. This album was released in 1967 and includes songs like Respect and Do Right Woman, Do Right Man. Not only does this album solidify Aretha's status as the Queen of Soul, the songs on this album also showcase a different side of Aretha's personality, the confidence, the women empowerment, and her outspoken nature. The political climate in the country at this time was very intense, and Aretha Franklin's music captured the spirit of the times. So let's talk about a pop style. Let's talk about one of your favorite albums, um, Aretha Franklin's I've Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. (laughs) When this album was released, Miss Danielle, you were just a baby. So what's your earliest earliest memory of the album, and what makes it stick out for you? First of all, just the way Aretha would look 
on the albums, you know, where I lived. Just seeing her, like she looked like she was in heaven. Like she looked like she was at a ball. She looked like, I don't know. She just looked like I wanted to look when I grew up. So I was fascinated by Aretha Franklin probably before I even attached her face, you know, to a voice. Yeah, the way she looks on that cover and just the way that her makeup was done, the hair was so coiffed and perfect. That makes sense. That makes sense. Right? She just, uh, she looked dreamy and sophisticated. Um, So no, when I was the littlest girl, because when did this album come out again? In like 67? Yeah, please. Like, I was a toddler, but, you know, by the time I just began to understand this is an album and this is music and this is what my parents and and their friends, you know, listen to, um, I just would look at that album cover and feel like, who is that lady? I want to, you know, I want to be like her. Right. Absolutely. And speaking of your parents and them listening to this album or them listening to Aretha, there was a lot going on in the country when this album dropped, like race rights and a ton of other things. Do you think the political climate affected like how your family felt about the album or how you feel about the album? Um, I think that kind of stuff affects everybody, whether they realize it or not, whether they articulate it or not, just like everything that's going on in the country and the world right now is affecting us. It's, 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 it's to me impossible for it not to. So I'm sure um, even when it wasn't like an exact thing, like, oh, this terrible thing happened in the country right now, let me go listen to Aretha. Uh, maybe it was that, but what I would imagine and what I think I've been told by people in my family Aretha and singers like her just provided a place of of rest, provided a place of joy, um, provided a place of like respect is on this album. Right. It's one of the most famous songs in the history of pop music. Um, so to to have a black woman in 1967, not just saying, you know, respect me, but like in case you weren't clear. It's R E S P E C T. That's right. No, like that was quite revolutionary. And um, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be an adult or a teen when that was really ringing off for the first time. The atmosphere must have been electrifying. Yes, that t- actually ties into my next question. I was going to say this record was pivotal to Aretha's success. She had left Columbia for Atlantic and then Respect being on the album. You've got like gospel influences. You've got love songs. you got all of it. So I was going to ask, do you think that this album solidified pop star status for Aretha Franklin? I really do think it did. I think she, she finally had, um, you know, I, I guess she was at Columbia at first and you know, I think they had some very strong ideas about how they wanted Aretha Franklin to present to the world. I think it was very much like sing the standards, sing jazz, um, you know, be nice, girl, be sweet. And it just wasn't working. She wasn't really being who she was. Who she was was the girl that can run a recording studio. Who she was was a girl that was in a very up and down relationship with her husband. Who she was was a girl that wanted to be sitting at the piano, you know, as she sang, not just standing in front of a microphone. 
you know, who she was was somebody that wanted to put all the gospel inflections um, that she, you know, had learned and had come up with in her youth. She wanted all of that in her music. So by the time she got here to this album, I mean, you could just listen to the song Dr. Feelgood. I mean, that that album for the times, right, was damn near pornographic. Like, it was deep. It's gay. <laughs> like, she's talking about, basically, y'all can don't come by my house because you never know when I'm having sex with my man. <laughs> that's pretty much what the read is on the song, right? Like, that's what the song is about. Right. I know people were clutching their pearls. When they oh, <laughs> oh, they were being clutched. Like, it was like, did she say that? But that's the thing about Aretha Franklin, going back to the way she spelled out respect. It's like, there's no hedging, you know? She's like, don't bring me no doctor. <laughs> Coming around with all of them pills. Like, she's like, because I get high on my man. I know, that's right. <laughs> you know what I'm like, I feel better just off of being with my man. So, um, and you know, but at the same time, she sounded to me very, she sounded very happy, but she also sounded like she was in a relationship where that might be really most of what you have in the relationship. Right. You know, um, that might be the thing that's binding you together, um, perhaps more so than the less sexier things like mutual respect and camaraderie and common interests and goals for the future. Um, maybe those things are playing the back. And then maybe, you know, you hear just a little bit of that, like, in the song, there's some brokenheartedness in there too. Okay, so at this part of the conversation, Danielle and I talk about one of her favorite artists, Stephanie Mills. Stephanie is a black pop star through and through, y'all. She started off as a child star. She was Dorothy in the Wiz. She has hits on hits on hits. As a child, Stephanie appeared in the Broadway musical Maggie Flynn and then went on to win Amateur Hour at the Apollo for six weeks straight. In 1974, Stephanie's debut album, Moving in the Right Direction, was released and then she starred as Dorothy in the Wiz on Broadway, of course, which was a huge hit and really cemented her as one to watch. After the Wiz, she signed with the world-famous Motown and went on to make a ton of classics and have a long prosperous career. Danielle and I talk about Stephanie's career, a few of her greatest hits, and why she is so underrated, although she's a huge star. Let's talk about the Stephanie Mills of it all. So the Stephanie Mills section of the book was really interesting to read because I don't want to give it away, but your lives kind of like paralleled a little bit as we went back and forth. Like you were doing your college applications and like entrance interviews on your end and she was doing auditions and there were a few other things that kind of paralleled. So what about about Stephanie Mills drew you to her and in what moment did you realize that you were a fan and have you ever seen her live? And first of all, what drew me to Stephanie Mills? <laughs> What's not to draw me? Like <laughs> she's like her voice is it is so strong. Um she has a a Broadway voice. She has a voice that can belt out to the backs of theaters. And she's been doing it since she was a child. When I was very young, we had the soundtrack to the original Broadway production of The Wiz at the House. Oh, wow. And so it was a popular album. And Stephanie is on there singing Home. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, everybody sings it. All the Black girls sing it. 
everybody, all the white girls sing it, everybody sings it. Um, it's pretty much almost a perfect record, I would say. And even though when I saw The Wiz for the first time, I don't think that Stephanie Mills was on that touring company. I've been doing research into that for a while, trying to find out and remember. I don't think she was on the touring company that I saw for my 13th birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, I think at the Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles. But I had that recording and that was all I needed to become a lifetime fan. The way she sings, when I think of home, I think of a place where there's love overflowing. The way she sings, and if you're listening, God, please don't make it hard to let me know if what I see is what I should believe is real. Like it's, 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 she's just singing out. I don't know if she's singing out her life, but I think she is singing out her life. And so when someone else is singing out their life, they are almost automatically singing out your life. If they're a black woman and you're a black woman, it's commonalities in there. And so then as she just began to grow and become uh, R&B and pop star, um, I just loved her. I loved her for the upbeat records. I loved her for the big ballads. Like, I love her for everything that she sings in The Wiz. I love her for how she sounds on Ease On Down the Road. She's just brilliant and to me is one of those singers that no matter how many accolades she has no matter how many rabid fans she has because her fans are rabid they will travel miles and cross oceans to see her live um it's still not enough definitely i agree in the book i learned a lot about her i've always known who she is of course but i didn't realize like just how much of a star she was and the way you describe her in the book i was like this reminds me of how i felt as a little girl about brandy like it's just very similar um and in the book you state that stephanie mills is one of the most beloved and one of the most underrated black recording artists in history and I just want to ask, like, why do you think that is? Do you think that not getting the lead role in the movie version had something to do with it? Like, why is she so underrated? One, I think um, that's a great comparison to Brandy. Yes. Um, just a great comparison. Brandy, too, is a belter. You know, Brandy, too, has a big old strong voice that can do yes. what she wants to do with it. Um the thing that's very different about them is generational. Um, not that it wasn't difficult for Brandy to navigate the, the, the politics of becoming a pop star as a black woman. Um, but it was even more difficult for Stephanie Mills, you know, 20 years before her. Uh, and I think that for some black artists, you know, you like to think that we all overcome every obstacle and every challenge. But that just isn't true. Sometimes things get too difficult. Sometimes you are literally looked over for the part that you created on Broadway that broke records. That the records that were broken, the attendance records, were the whole reason that they were even able to get financing to make the film. And then you just don't get the part. I mean, to any of us that have ever worked hard for something, waiting at that prize at the end, only to have it snatched away from me, that kind of hurt, even when we say it's okay, even if we have 
done the work and healed, that doesn't mean that that does not still hurt and may not affect you and how you continue to move through your career. That's what life is. It stings. It definitely stings. It really does. And I think also that, you know, Stephanie's always been hurt by, you know, there's a very clear model of what a Black woman pop star is supposed to look like and there always has been. It's always better if you're taller. It's always better if you're lighter, lighter skinned, okay? Um, and Stephanie is not those things. She's beyond beautiful. Her smile will light up from like where I am in California to where I used to live in Brooklyn. She glows. She has those cheekbones that it's just like, girl, I will fight you for those cheekbones. <laughs> just give me some of that cheekbone energy. And those, you know, those brown eyes and she's gorgeous. I just don't know that the people in the record business were seeing her as such. Uh, as she came of age in this business. I asked my mom about the Wiz movie and like what it felt like to see Diana in the role versus Stephanie. And she reiterated what you said in Shine Bright. Like they underestimated how connected people were to Stephanie Mills in that role. And I never knew that the Wiz flopped. I didn't know because it's a cult classic to me. You know, I thought it was a big hit, but it wasn't. And my mom was like, yeah, nobody really wanted to see that at that point. No, and it was, and I'm a huge Diana Ross fan, and I really like, as I write about it in Shine Bright, Diana Ross's solo career, but that was a misstep on the part of everybody involved, uh, on the part of every single person involved. It was, it's, it was a cynical move, I feel like, very crass, and, and I think we as a culture paid for it because a film with Stephanie Mills as Dorothy, man, listen, listen. <laughs> Listen. Yes. Well, we can we can end the Stephanie section on a high note, Danielle. I know she's one of your absolute favorites. The connection you have with her and her music is personal, just like all the other women that you wrote about in Shine Bright. So I want to ask you if you could choose your top three from her greatest hits. Oh, what would they be? <laughs> oh, no. I may have to take it to the to the internets right now because, <laughs> because I just say all of them, which is not a good answer. And <laughs> give me those type of whack answers. So hold on, let me just pull this up real quick. Okay. What's going on because you're not gonna have me out here picking whackness. That's what we're not gonna do. Okay. And we'll let you we'll let you describe your choices and defend your choices as well. <laughs> Oh no, there's too many. There's too many. There's too many. Shoot, okay, shoot. Uh, home is on here, so that's going to win. Okay, that's number one. We've already discussed that one. But oh my God, I feel good all over. Sweet things you say to me. What? <laughs> <laughs> that breakdown right there? No, no, no. Okay, so. Definitely, I feel good all over. Like, it's such a great record, too. Just, um, you know, just a, a straight-up declaration of just joy in your in your partnership, you know? Like, it's just, it's just what the, ugh, it just gives me chills to think about it. So definitely that. Now, I do love, I have learned to respect the power of love. 
Then it's written by the great Angela Wimbush. Classic. Right? So classic. But see, there's something about the other, another Angela Wimbush song. They did some great work together. Something in the way you make me feel. Like, let me tell you, that song is so sexy. And it's that little, like, mid-tempo that you don't expect to come from Stephanie Mills. And I don't know. She just has all these little moans in it. You know what I mean? These little sexy, like, mm, you know what I mean? And <laughs> she just, uh, I think those are my favorite right there. Those are my favorite. That's a strong top three. The people will allow it. The people will, will allow they? it. <laughs> are, you, are you the people? Because if you're the people, I want to know what your top three are. So my mom sent me her top three because she's a big Stephanie Mills fan. Okay. So let me go to her text real quick. I don't know why your mom couldn't join the show. She's having, she's the integral part of it already. She when really you- is. And you know what? And yeah, she, was so, she was so excited about this because I used to have a Vibe subscription when I was a kid. Only child problems. My mom literally would let me read anything because she was like, find something to do with yourself. So <laughs> when I told her I was doing this, she was like, are you kidding me? Oh my God, Kimani. And then I, she was like, well, like if you have anything you want to ask her about, like, cause you know, I know the music. So call me. So I was like, oh, uh, that is so <laughs> nice. That is so nice. And I love her comments about, um, the wish. She knows just what she's talking about. He does. She, she's tapped in. She's tapped in. <laughs> So she says, I have learned the respect to respect the power of love as well. She chose home and then she chose a song. I'm not familiar with this one. It's called Rising Desire. What you're saying is your mother is like a Stephanie Mills scholar, is what yeah. you're <laughs> If I know that song, I haven't listened to it in a long time, but your mom is making me go to my playlist today and find it. Absolutely. I love her list. I mean, we have our list in common. Exactly. Y'all chose two of the same ones. I love that. She's gonna be so excited. Shout out to you, mom. Hey Kim. All right, y'all. So now we're going to talk about Miss Ross. Y'all know who Miss Ross is. So in the 1960s, a young Diana joined the Primettes, who would later become Diana Ross and the Supremes. The group got their first top 40 single with When the Love Light Starts Shining Through His Eyes in 1963, and then earned number ones with their next five singles. The group was truly on fire. And then as the 1970s rolled in, Diana Ross, the solo artist, emerged. After her first debut single, Reach Out and Touch, hit the top 20 her second single a cover of ain't no mountain high enough was released and went number one the solo career took off at this point she went on to break more records release more albums and starred in films such as the Wiz, mahogany and lady sings the blues here's danielle and i talking about the solo success of miss ross her longevity and the way she demands respect as a black woman so that was stephanie mills let's talk about diana's solo career you mentioned it earlier so i really wanted to get to this point um this section because i want to know what you think about this so in the book we um you talked about the general attitude people had towards diana ross when she went solo and what you said about the word diva really stood out to me and it's so funny how that word is like it's an insult almost and it reminds me of the way people spoke about Beyonce when Latoya and Latavia left the group and then when Farrah left and then even more when she went solo. I remember when Crazy in Love premiered, everyone was like, she's not better than Ashanti. She can't do it. Like she's a diva. Like that was, there was a lot of negative press. Do you think that people are bothered by black women in music who think highly of themselves or carry themselves a certain way? And why is that? Oh, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that question? Because 
I feel it's worthy of repetition. Please, one more time. Do I think, okay. I think what? That people have what? A problem with what? We already know the answer is yes. Do you think people are bothered by Black women in music who think highly of themselves or carry themselves a certain way? And why do you think they have that mindset? People struggle so hard with a Black woman who has decided that she's going to do the things that she's going to do. It's consistent in history. It hasn't changed to right now. It's better. Sometimes it's more hidden. Sometimes it's more passive aggressive than the aggressive that it used to be. But it has not really changed. I want to go with the easy thing and say, I don't know what it is. It just is that way. It's different things. Sometimes I think a thing that, that Black women have in common is, and we're not a monolith and we don't all move the same way, look the same way, vote the same way, go to the same church. We don't love the same way. We all are different without question. I think there is something about a Black woman making up her mind. I think it goes way back probably to being on the slave ships, but definitely it goes back to Harriet Tubman and Harriet Tubman-like figures. Because there was more than one Harriet Tubman. You know, you just make a decision. I'm, I'm just going to do this. I'm not here to wait around any further. I'm going to uh, make the decision to do this, and then I'm going to get myself a plan, and then I'm going to work the plan. And if y'all want to come, if y'all want to roll, if y'all want to be a part of my family, if you want to be my partner, if you, you know, if y'all trying to be down, then come on. But if you're coming, don't weigh me down because I'm going to go where I'm saying I'm going. And that applies to getting to the grocery store of a Saturday as much as it applies to becoming uh, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Patti LaBelle, Diana Ross, whoever. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a energy that cannot be moved, and people resent it, and they get real ugly about it. They really do. And that diva word, which is like I say in the book, it's like it, it, it is actually a title in opera that means the star of the show. There's nothing negative attached to that. That's what it was. But as soon as black women started being famous, it becomes a pejorative. I just think it's, uh, what what does the meme say? Don't you find that suspicious? (laughs) Don't you find that suspicious? (laughs) Laugh. To keep from crying, honestly. That's all you can do. And I was also going to ask, like, do you think if, let's say, Diana Ross was a millennial, would it be any different? But I, I don't think so at all. I think it would still be a negative connotation. What do you think? Like, if she, if let's say this is the Supremes came out in like 2012, would it be any different? I don't think we have to guess. Millennial or what is Gen Z? Yeah, even if she was Gen Girl, Z. Yeah. You know. No, I, I honestly, I'm on social way too much um, as it goes. Um, but when I get off is when I see people attacking young women who are in the process of becoming who they are. I mean, can we just discuss Chloe for just one minute? Oh, yes, we can. Like, leave that girl alone. Like, leave that young woman alone 
she's finding her sound. She's play, she's so talented. She can put out anything for me, but she's so talented. She's so young and she's figuring out what she wants to do. What like in, let front, her of, in front of everybody in front of everybody. And I think it's just makes some folks resentful of her commitment to herself and to her and her own commitment to her future. Her commitment to her creativity, her commitment to, you know, today's booty shaking day, y'all. Ride or ride. <laughs> you know, like the comments. I'm putting my hands to my temples right now. It's, people are so cruel to her. And the way that people will build someone up just to tear them down when they get people begged for Chloe to go solo. Begged her. All now, she's abandoning everything now and she just is about herself. Mm-hmm. First of all, she's allowed that. She's allowed that. Like she's allowed to do what she wants to do. And Diana was allowed to do what Diana did. We all see ourselves in the stars that we love, you know. And so as hard as we are on ourselves, which is where to me, we are all the hardest. We're even triple that on the people that try to like sing our blues away. It's, it's ugly to me. And again, you you are really good with the comparisons because when you talk about <laughs> the way people acted when early Destiny's Child was going through its personnel changes. Yes, I was fighting for my life on the playground, Danielle. Everyone was like, we hate Beyonce. I was like, no. Girl, but that was energy. It was Matthew's fault. <laughs> I, was, I was groaning at work and I was fighting on whatever playgrounds we had. <laughs> The energy, uh, the anti-Beyonce energy at that time was thick. I wasn't, at the, I wasn't at the show, but my husband always tells the story of being at um, Hot 97 Summer Jam and the trio was performing, mm-hmm. the, the Hall of Fame trio of Destiny Child, and they were getting booed, booed at Summer Jam. And my husband said he will never forget how Beyonce was because she stopped in the middle of the song. And I don't know what kind of communication she had with Michelle and Kelly, but they started singing a gospel song. And Beyonce said to the audience, I know y'all are not going to boo God. Oh, now see to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you clear them. <laughs> this is my thing. This is my thing. The audacity, right? It's crazy. And that's why she's Beyonce. And that's why I love her. Exactly. You got to love somebody who would stand up like that because she just, she was getting it so bad. And to see how beloved she is today, I'm like, where was y'all back right. in the day when we was on the playground? <laughs> y'all was not here. Super, super late, super late to the Beyonce train. Super late to the Beehive. And then to go back to Diana Ross, she's one of those artists that just, transcends every genre r&b disco we got rap samples we talked about no money no problems and then she also like i saw that 
there's a um like someone remixed the old song of hers and it's like a big thing in like the electro clubs now so she's just everywhere diana ross is everywhere how do you feel that she has impacted um the standing of black women in pop music today it can't be quantified it literally cannot be quantified like she's not the um the original, just because of the year that she was born. I mean, there are women before her, you know, jazz stars, Ella Fitzgerald, Nancy Wilson, blue stars, Ma Rainey, et cetera, that, that became pop stars before Dinah Ross and the Supremes before Dinah Ross as a solo artist. But the thing that Diana has and the reason why she's so imprinted on all of us is because she came of age musically and creatively at a time when television was big radio was at its biggest black people would occasionally be placed on the covers of non uh, black magazines uh, would occasionally be booked on shows like American Bandstand she was everywhere and her her look um, even now but especially for the time her time was so distinctive and sophisticated and confident um, just her eyes. I mean, she got the she got the eyes, man. And okay. she and them lashes that she used to rock. It's like, come on. Um, the mini hairstyles, the mini wigs, the mini outfits, the fashion sense. She just became the model for everybody thereafter. Um, there's no one that's singing today of any race or age that doesn't owe some debt to Diana Ross's energy. There just isn't. Guys, the book is called Shine Bright, A Very Personal History of Black Women in Pop. And as I said earlier, the book goes through the musical history and contributions of these women and also talks about what is happening in Danielle's life, either at the time or at the time she discovered their music. Danielle Smith started her career as a freelancer, often writing about music and pop culture, covering live shows, and more. After working as a columnist at publications like SF Weekly and Spin Magazine, Danielle moved to the East Coast to be an editor for Billboard. By 1994, Danielle had moved on to Vibe magazine, becoming the editor-in-chief a few short years later. Danielle has worked at Time, Essence, Rolling Stone, ESPN. We'll be here all day naming her byline. She's written two novels, now three. She started her podcast and so, so much more. Y'all, Danielle is truly a legend. She's a big inspiration for me as a writer. So I'm excited for y'all to learn more about her personally in this interview. In this portion of the conversation, I talked to Danielle about her writing playlist, songs that remind her of different milestones in her life, and how the women in Shine Bright have influenced her one way or another. Well, Danielle, I have some post questions for you. We're going to talk about you, shift to you, and some of your um, relationships with the artists that you love. So I have a few questions for you. Now, well, I was such a good time talking about the other folks, though. That I, was. Now we got to talk about you. <laughs> okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let me put on my Beyonce audacity. Yes, please put on the audacity. <laughs> the hat, put it on. So, Danielle, what I know and love you for are your cover stories. The very first one I read was your cover story for um, Mariah Carey. So, if you could write a cover story for any of the women you profiled in Shine Bright, who would it be and why? Okay, this is a really deep question. Like, what? I know. I'm sorry. 
I'm a cancer, so like everything I think of, I'm, I'm always like, oh, let's tie okay, it up. So am I though? I'm a cancer. You're right. You're, you're also a cancer queen. Yes, That's I'm right. Cancer. Yes, yes, yes. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yes, nice to meet you. We are a lovely and special tribe. We really are. We are something else. We we get a bad rap, but we're good. It's the lead. I accept, and here's the thing, and I accept none of it. Like not even the edges of it. I really don't. Um, like leave me alone. I'm in my shell. Bye. I'm not. Yeah, I'm like I don't bother nobody. Y'all be bothering us. And if you bother me, I might have to get my pinch on. But um, you know, it's there's so much history in Shine Bright. Um, there's 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 definitely uh, a lot of writing about current uh, stars, and but there's a lot of writing about you know, their creative ancestors. And I would say if there's anybody that I could do that it's impossible to do, mm-hmm. it would probably be the jazz singer Nancy Wilson would be there. Mm-hmm. Um, Ella Fitzgerald would be there. Probably both of those, to be honest, uh, because Lena Horne, especially, because those women existed in a time where there just weren't that many places that were creating, you know, portraits of them with words that people that really, really wanted to get to know their souls and their spirits and their energies and ambitions and loves and everything. You know, when you did a lot of research for Shine Bright, and when you read the old magazine pieces and newspaper pieces, man, if there wasn't the black press in those days, we wouldn't really know much of the detail of black genius, black women's genius at all. If it wasn't, if it wasn't for Jet, how would we know what black women were even wearing when they went out? You have no idea. We would not. We have no idea. We wouldn't. We just wouldn't. So it's like, those are the people I wish I could sit up and talk to and ask them nosy questions and, <laughs> you know, and just really try to describe their outfit and what their mouth looked like when they spoke and all of these things. Are you kidding me? Your, your Lena Horn piece would have been dope. I know it. Oh, <laughs> oh. She's a favorite. So we're going to go to some less deep questions, and then we're going to end on a really deep one. So get ready for that, Danielle. But the, your next two will will bring the mood up a little bit. You really scared me. I'm about to call your mother and tell her how you're acting. That's what I'm about to do. <laughs> she don't even know why you asking her stuff. Like, <laughs> like She's doing a lot of press. I had to switch really it up a little bit. I know everybody asked me the same question. This is such a great interview because, you know, it's how I try to show up to interviews is uh, knowing what I'm talking about, um, being prepared, asking like questions that sit the, the subject back on their heels a little bit in the nicest way. Um, you know, I think all of this is important and I appreciate this. It's lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much, Dale. That It's the most to me. I will be calling my mom and crying later. Um, so. My next question, what songs were on your playlist while you were in the process of writing Shine Bright? Like when it got really hard, deep into it, when you were typing at phenomenal speed, what were you listening to? I usually have a a similar answer to this question, which is when I'm really trying to write and get done with things and be creative, I listen to instrumentals because if I listen to music with words, 
then I'm getting caught up in what they're saying and not paying attention to what I need to be writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I start wanting to sing along and I get distracted. So I listen to music for research, definitely. But when I'm just banging it out, banging it out, I really don't listen to music with words. Now, that being said, there's probably no song I listen to more during the writing of Shine Bright than Diana Ross's I'm Coming Out. And it got a nice little passage in the book, too. I loved how you ended it with that one. Right? She's like, that song, it's a, it's a theme song for me. It's a theme song. Like, I'm always saying what's in my top 10 of all time, and it's probably like 80 songs in that top 10. <laughs> but, but that song, I want the world to know. I got to let it show. Because the writing is so much just about maintaining confidence from the beginning of the sentence to the end of the sentence, from the beginning of the paragraph to the end of the paragraph, from the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. It's just a long, like, at least for me, who suffers regularly from crises of confidence, it helps me so much to hear Diana singing that song. And and then the other one that I don't really listen to, but I just know myself as we all do, and it's one of the reasons for the title of the book is uh, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Like that is those two right there. Please, there's a movie that Whoopi Goldberg is in. I can't think of the name in it where she sings uh, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Yeah, it stays with me. We don't always think of Whoopi as like you know being a person that's out here singing songs like that, but. Whoopi's version of that song is uh, is beautiful to me. So these would be the songs if you could do like a Shine Bright soundtrack, those would be the ones on there. Oh girl, please, there's a sign Shine Bright soundtrack now. You don't even have to worry about that. <laughs> there is a whole like I know Ebony's trying to act like she's just a stalker. There are <laughs> there are Shine Bright soundtracks by chapter. What? Listen, girl. No, because the thing is, I really did use playlists to help me write the book. How could I not? So then when I began to look at it, I was like, oh, wow, this stuff is already really well organized. We might need those, Danielle. We might need those releases. Let's go. We are going to be sharing because, and all of them aren't all girl pocket. I mean, all girl um, lists. They're not, you know, because music is music. And there are some men that are spoken about in Shine Bright. Um, but yeah, those songs, uh, this little lot of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And Diana Ross's, I'm coming out just for those lines. I want the world to know I'm going to let it show. Come on. Inspirational. She's got us. Out of all of the black women in pop that you love, Danielle, who would you say influenced you the most? You can choose certain women for certain things, like maybe someone specifically for style or like career influence, whatever you want. But who do you think has had the biggest impact and influence on you? I mean, it really is Natalie Cole that really cemented my love for music, period, let alone black women in music. You know, her album, Natalie with Mr. Melody and I've got no plans for the future. It's so dear to me, sophisticated lady, all, and just Natalie Cole in general. I wanted to be that sophisticated lady that Natalie Cole was singing about. 
she's a different lady with a different style. I was like, I'm a different lady. (laughs) (laughs) I want to have a different style. Um, She walks tall and steady like the Eiffel Tower. Come on. I didn't know what the Eiffel Tower was. And um, so Nellie Cole just, the energy, her live album identified with her going through the problems that she's had, that she had, and coming back from them. I see how she ran from her relationship with her father professionally, right? Mm-hmm. For decades. And then finally comes back and joins up with her father, you know, in the way that she did, even though he had passed on for Unforgettable. But she overcame her addictions. Um, Nellie Cole is probably the most influential. And then secondarily, just like that's just, and also Nellie Cole's the first. Uh, show that I ever reviewed as a professional in Oakland. She came to Oakland and I got sent there by the East Bay Express alternative newspaper, which is still in existence in in uh, the Bay Area. And they sent me there. And I just could not believe how serious I was at that show saying to myself, this has got to be what, because I was writing on the side. I had jobs. Mm-hmm. I was working retail and two other jobs, literally. Um, I was like, but this is, how can I figure out how to make a living at this, at going to shows and describing them and trying to paint a picture for people who aren't here? You know, how can I make this into a life? Uh, And that combined with Sade, who was really hitting at that time um, with her first album, those two, probably, honestly. Um, I talked about it on Black Girl Songbook. You know, we did a whole episode on Sade and everyone loves Sade's love songs. And I do. I do. I do. She's been there for me in every decade of my uh, adult life. But the song, When Am I Going to Make a Living? It made me commit to myself. It made me commit to myself in ways I may not have otherwise. So I'm indebted to those women. Uh, personally and professionally. We get into our last sadder question or deeper oh, question. <laughs> that wasn't the sad one. I have a palette. Oh, yeah. How was that not the sad one? I need that to- was a sad, th- Now that one, I was like, uh, like w- once we start talking, I was like, this one is sad. But that, that was <laughs> the sad one. I have a palette cleanser, I promise. I got a, pl- a palette cleanser. So one of the things I learned about you in the book, Danielle, I knew that you were from Oakland, but I did not know that you went to high school in LA and Inglewood specifically. I so my best friend is from Inglewood and we were talking about that. She was like, oh, St. Mary's, St. Mary's, little hoes on the prairie. I said, girl. Wow. wow. <laughs> this, this is the thing. I knew, I knew, I knew that that is exactly what you were going to quote someone as having said. I knew that. I was dying, Danielle, because I was like, when I was reading that part of the book, I was like, I know this school because I was like, I'm pretty sure they brought this up to me or like they made fun of the school or something. So I called her, I said, Joy, what's the name of that school? That's like across from a cemetery or something. Yeah, and it's like, it yeah, and she was like, yep, St. Mary's little hoes on the prayer. <laughs> wow. They used to say that about us. And you know what I say? Haters gonna hate. That's <laughs> It's really no, they did though. I went to St. Mary's Academy, the amazing St. Mary's Academy in Inglewood, California. I am a red tie. Every class has a tie attached to itself that you wear for the whole four years of your time there. 
We are the SMA Bells, B-E-L-L-E-S. Um, I talked to, I only, I graduated with 150 other black women with the exception of one, a young woman who I believe was from El, El Salvador. Mm-hmm. Her name was Esperanza. And my school is bomb. Like, it's like, it was like going to a HBCU as HBCU as a high schooler. All black women, all black women. That's a dope experience. And and people always were mad because our uniforms were the best, better than. And I'll just call people out: better than St. Michael's, better than Immaculate Heart, better, <laughs> better, better. Um, in our blue and white. And did we think we were cute? I like to say that we knew we were cute. And we were also graduating girls that were off to Stanford and Cal, and you know or getting themselves together at the JC or, or going into, you know, the, the armed forces or doing whatever they wanted to do. We were some dynamic chicks. And in the, when I see my friends on Facebook, I try not to be on Facebook as I say in shine bright. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I see my SMA sisters um, on Facebook, you know, there's just nothing better, honestly. They call me by my high school nickname. They uh, they know me for being on yearbook staff and uh, and taking photos around school for yearbook and um, you know being the busybody, most involved in the school activities type of uh, girl that I was. Mm-hmm. And it's such a comfort to my life. You know, as you get older, it's it's a it's a it's a luxury to be known. Uh, you know, have that community of yeah. black women. That's awesome. It's, it's amazing. So, um, your friend that that said little hope <laughs> on the period, um, tell her I've been hearing that since I was in the tenth grade, and it's tired. It's tired. <laughs> so, but, but so story, crazy is that people are still saying it right now. Yeah, I and know. Because I, I heard, I heard about it like maybe two years. If we heard all of that, then why? Is our name in your mouth? I don't understand. Why? Why are you speaking of us if we're just so terrible? <laughs> but you know, she she confirmed all other things. She was like, they were beautiful girls. A lot of them, you know, went off to do great things. They were always real smart. All the boys liked them. But she was like, you know, it was the it was the thing. Little hoes on the prairie. So my <laughs> next question. It's so mean. It's so mean. And the thing is, we really were being called that and we really I think fixed ourselves to like like to be braced for it all the time and was wild about just comparing it even to black women in pop I think that contributed to the aura of like we were conceited or whatever because we were always walking around to me at least myself and my friends waiting on like a little jab you know what i mean a little attack um y'all think y'all are cute so you almost had to walk around like i, I do think i'm cute actually because you're you're bringing that energy so let me just give you what you're putting on me but it was a beautiful school we all had our little rivalries and things like that and um they really wanted to call us little hoes <laughs> and it was like oh, it's like oh you're so mad you're so the, the girls who the girls who are um who are popular with the boys 
have good grades. Those girls are always going to be the ones that call people call hoes. You know what I mean? Like that when people see stuff like we were talking about, when people see strong, confident women, yes. like they want to take hoe, diva, all of that. It all, all of those things. Look, really, I'm enjoying talking to you. Honestly, uh-huh. when are you writing your book? Is my question. What are we waiting on? What's going I, on? You know what, Danielle? Me, me, you have to talk offline because I'm like, I would love to write something. I don't know what I want to write. I don't know where to start. I don't know. I, mean, I, I just don't. You know. don't have to write a book. You can write a documentary treatment. You can, you can, you can write. But you know, you can write a poem, girl. You can write whatever. Like, but you cannot. I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you, and I'm thinking to myself that the knowledge that you have and the enthusiasm that you have. Um, I love a good podcast. I'm a podcast host too. Yes. Love Black Girl okay. Book over here. Yes. I mean, but I'm only saying that to say uh, you're going to have to spread the, the knowledge, sis. You're going to have to, you're going to have to, come on now. I need, I'm working I, I need more. I need more. I got you. I'm going to make you proud, man. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that wasn't the Prairie Hose, wasn't the sad question. No, I just no. That question was supposed to be fun. So Dory wanted me to ask you, you know, since you got Oakland, you got a little bit of LA. Too short or iced tea? That's a heartbreaker right there. <laughs> iced tea is my first, like my first rap show was iced tea. Are you kidding? Oh my God, I used to see iced tea driving around LA by St. Mary's, mind you, um, before he was iced tea. When he was just like a cute guy with a perm, and don't hate on me for saying that because that was a thing. That was that was the style. We we will we'll forgive you, Dale, for that. It was blowing <laughs> in the wind. Okay, it was blowing <laughs> in the wind. That that hair was blowing in the wind. Um, I'm gonna have to go with short though. And if anybody <laughs> is mad at short for cementing the word bitch into the culture, which he has done, and I don't like that. I, I hate it actually. And I'm not making any excuses for him, but I, I will say that I know him and it is hard to talk about because I hate that part of his career so much. Yeah. Um, but, but there's a song called I Want to Be Free. I forgot which album that is on, where he talks about what it's like being a black man in Oprah. It's like a little memoir, it's like a little story, the song. I want to be free. Is the sample. I always think if he would deal with the pain and the drama of being a black man, a black man in a in a in a town like Oakland with the kind of police force and stuff like that that we had and still have, from what I understand, uh, you know, then maybe he wouldn't have all the anger in him that has him, you know, out here elongating the word bitch to make a point. It's like having a brother that don't know how to act. Right. And it all has nuance because like, I feel the same way, but when I'm in the club and I hear what's my favorite word, I'm going to say it, you know? So wild, right? Yeah. It's wild. It's like, I feel, I'm like, I, I like hearing that song and I'm going to say it back. It's funny how that was supposed to be a fun question, Danielle. And we like took it there. We, two cancers. We don't have no business. Always. Always. And if you tell me that that's not the sad question. That was not the sad question. That was the fun one. I really, I don't know whether you're Oprah or I like, or who, who's the other person that I, I like, I don't know which one you are, but you about to get to the sad question. <laughs> okay. This is the sad question. And this is my last one. I promise. Okay. 
So this is kind of a little bit of a game, Daniel. So I'm going to list different milestones in your life. And then you name the first song that comes to mind when you hear them. Just like this sounds like a whole slice of hell, whatever we're about to do right now. It really does. It really <laughs> does. And it's only, it's only because of the respect that I have for you after being on this call with you that I'm going through with it. That's the only reason why, because this sounds like some foolishness. I appreciate you so much. And I, I, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Okay. Right. So let's do the first one. Moving to New York City to work at Billboard. Whoop, there it is. Finding out you were going to be the first African-American woman to be editor-in-chief at Vimax. That was a turbulent time. <laughs> Finding out? Yes. Man, probably DOS effects, to be honest with you. I just remember being at a party or listening for DOS effects in New York and Chelsea, as a matter of fact, and telling some people. That I was that it was going to be announced that I was the editor in chief of Vibe, and they were like, "What? <laughs> what?" Basically saying like, "You." I was in New York. You know, New Yorkers are ruthless, um, and I had to learn that and realize you can't just go into parties announcing your business. Das Effects was on, and I don't even. And I'm all respect to Dos Effects, but that's not even my group like that. But I always remember that song was on. That song was on when you told them that. And New York is so funny because it's like a place based on what you do and who you know. But for some reason, you also can't just be telling people your business at the same time. Yeah. I thought I was in Oakland for five minutes and I was, you know, <laughs> around all my good girlfriends from home. And I, and I, and I was not. Okay, next one. The achievement of getting your bachelor's degree. Oh, my God. What a good time. What a good question. Um, something from most deaf, probably. Something from Eve, probably. I was in school and freelancing. It was such a good time. I used to live on the Lower East Side and walk back and forth to the new school. And I would just be so happy. Uh, and people don't know, you can walk at night in New York, in Manhattan. Uh, and some of my classes were at night. And I just used to be having a good time at, you know, listening to music, walking back and forth. And it was it was a lot of it was a lot of most stuff going on for me back then. I love it. Okay. Um, when your first book, More Like Wrestling, was published. Okay, so seriously, so this is an episode of This Is Your Life, Danielle. This is what happens when you get past the age of fifty. Okay. It's a personal history of black women in pop. I need to get right with that. And that's why it's good that I have you early in the process because you really know. No. Oh, well, yes. My God. Crazy in love. Are you kidding me? Yes. Beyonce, <laughs> solo artist, those, those, those shorts with those pumps. That white beater. What? <laughs> yes. Walking down that alley. I'm like, girl, you are going to trip on that cobblestone. Like, I can't do it with you, beast. That song. Oh my God, the way I used to be rolling around. The thing that people maybe don't know about me is that I got married very young, like when I was in my very early 20s. Uh, I was divorced at the end of my 20s. I spent my entire 30s as a single woman and got married to uh, my husband, Elliot Wilson, right before I turned 40. And so my 30s were my 20s. That's when I was like, Young, single, and free. So, 
so went crazy in love. Oh my God. And can I get up? Oh my God. Oh my God. Alizé and Vodka. Like what? Are you kidding? So those songs, can I get up and crazy in love? Late night, candlelight. What? I like a lot of parada. Alizé and Vodka. What? Oh my God. Was this when you had that like Bob like haircut, Danielle? Is is th- is that around this time or was this like a little earlier? Well, I try to keep a bomb haircut, but you mean when it was short? Yeah, it was like this really your hair is very thick. I love it. But it was like this bob that you had that I just always remember. It was really, really cute. It was darker though. It wasn't like the color you have now. It was oh girl, yes. Oh, my natural color is a long time ago. No, this was right after that. My hair had grown out from that. I think this is like right when I actually first started getting my hair color because that's when I first started getting, um, girl, I couldn't even stand like one gray hair back then. <laughs> that's when I started uh, getting my hair colored. But I missed that bob. I just knew I was salt and pepper with those bobs. Are you kidding me? They were bomb. And you got you to have a full head of hair to have a bob that looks that good. <laughs> oh, I know. The face. only thing about having a bob though is you don't have, um, you don't have that bun you can do. True. Don't have that bun you could do. But I loved having it. It was, it was easy to keep going. And I just um, don't don't influence me to get a bob because Elliot will really fight you. My bad, Elliot. The next <laughs> question was about Elliot. This is the last one for for this game. Okay. First song that comes to mind: Getting Married to Your Husband, Elliot Wilson. Oh well, obviously it's we ain't getting no younger girl. We might as well do this. <laughs> Let's get married. Let's get married. Are you kidding me? Like, we literally wrapped that song at my wedding. So, um, are you, like, the, the run verse, really, I memorized for my wedding. Like, that's really how I was living. Just, just Blaze was the DJ at our wedding. Um, oh, icon. <laughs> absolutely. I got, we got married at my mother's home out in, a, out in a Monterey Hills. Uh, it was a, it was a day, man. It was an absolute day, and there were so many great musical moments at our wedding. Um, but let's get married was definitely, especially because we really were on some. We ain't getting no younger girl because I was just about to turn forty. You know, I had been married before Elliot. You know, and I had just, I literally thought at a certain point that I wasn't going to get married again. I had kind of gotten right with that fact. And the first time I got married, I didn't have a wedding. We went to the, got married by a judge. But to have like a wedding wedding at 39, man, it was, it was, it was upside down. You turned me. It was wild. And what's so crazy is it runs in my family. Because my sister, who was also in her 50s, is getting married in June, her second wedding. Oh, wow. Yes. And as she was my matron of honor, uh, at my wedding to Elliot, I'm going to be her matron of honor to, uh, as she gets married to her uh, wonderful uh, fiance, Chris, this June. So I guess that's just how the Smith girls do it. Yes. <laughs> Y'all ain't scared to find love later, okay? No. It's not no. over. No. <laughs> it'll, it'll walk up on you and surprise you. It'll walk up on you and surprise you. It'll surprise you. And I always tell people, it's usually already in your social circle. I hate to I hate to scare y'all, but it's true. Okay, so I hear that all the time, and I'm glad you said that. It's usually somebody you already know or like maybe 
knows a friend, like a mutual, a friend of a friend or something. Right. I mean, that's the best way to meet people as well. It's it's either somebody in your social circle or it's a brother of somebody in your so, uh, social circle if you're straight, a sister of somebody in your social circle if you're gay. It's like it's it's somebody in the social circle or the like the the right like next ring of the social circle, like the second. You know what I mean? You know how on LinkedIn you have like the first connection and then the second. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's very that. It's, yeah. it's one of those. Um, it just will, it just will, um, to me, if you're open to it and we all take our time with these things, as you see, I did, um, it'll, it'll surprise you. So stay ready. So you don't got to get ready. I'm ready. Y'all hear that friends? Introduce me to somebody. <laughs> and I do also recommend blind dates from trusted sources. Nothing better. Blind dates from, blind dates from trusted sources, not Tinder. Not Tinder. Okay. See, I can't really speak on the dating app because I kind of, I did it maybe a that's a whole other chapter, but um, I don't believe it didn't work for me. But to me, blind dates from trusted sources and something my grandmother told me and my mother when I was dating in my mid thirties was you have to commit to a second date, even if the first date didn't go well. Now, if it's obvious red flags, obviously bounce. But if it was just awkward and weird, like we didn't, I don't know, we didn't click. We didn't click to my grandmother and mother was not a reason. She's like, you need to be like worried if you click with somebody on the first date because they might be forcing it, you know, mm. saying things that you want to hear. Go on the second date when everybody's a little bit more relaxed and then you see what it is. If it's still whack, you know, deuces, but just try. At least that's just, you know what I mean? Just I like that. Commit to the second date. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. Why not? Who knows what else we got to do in this crazy world that we live in, but try to find somebody to partner up with. It has been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much, Danielle. I'm so excited for this book to be released. We're going to read it for my book club. I know they're going to love it, but try oh. not to give it away anymore to them. <laughs> this is so exciting. I'm so grateful for this. Okay, but you guys, seriously, have me back for Shine Bright because Definitely. I've enjoyed speaking with you and I would love to get to know your community. Yes, yes, they would love you, and they I know that they will be really excited to hear about this. It's been very hard to not like tell them. <laughs> I can't wait for them to hear this. I'm so excited. Thank you so much, Danielle. Okay, y'all, so that is the end of me and Danielle's conversation. I hope y'all learned more about Diana Ross, Stephanie Mills, and Aretha Franklin, as well as learned more about Danielle Smith. I had a blast talking to her. It was so much fun. So thank you so much, Danielle, for coming on the show and allowing me to pick your brain, girl. <laughs> Shine Bright, A Very Personal History of Black Women in Pop comes out on April 19th. Make sure y'all go get that, especially if you enjoyed this conversation, especially if you enjoy learning more about the history of black women our contributions and you want to know more about how we contributed to pop music y'all what me and danielle talked about is such a small part of what the book entails like if we talked about everything and everything that i learned from that book we would be here for days so if y'all enjoyed this conversation make sure y'all grab the book when it comes out on the 19th i'll have it linked below and yeah thank you guys so much for listening and i will see y'all all later with an all new episode Bye. Thank you for listening to Vixen. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to leave a review. If you have a submission, feel free to email vixenpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back on Wednesday, May 11th with an all new episode.